0: there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmidt the Clam. I'm also known as Schmidt the Champ, and I am also, also truly committed to that premise that I talked about, the premise that being alive is more interesting than people think it is. I do believe that our world is fascinating in a fundamental way, just the more closely you look at it. And in keeping with that, here's our topic today. It is bizarre and gross problems that took over U.S. cities. One more time, that is bizarre and gross problems that took over U.S. cities. The most famous example of that is probably the Boston molasses flood, which I'll, I'll just tell you about now. It's, it's a very Candyland sounding problem. Uh, it would be like an obstacle on the board if it was like chutes and ladders, uh, but it was also very real. Here's the situation. In the early 1900s, all of the molasses shipments from the Caribbean that were headed to the U.S. would converge on Boston, and there was really just one company in charge of storing all of it in a very, very big vat on the north end of Boston. And in 1919, they did a bad job, and the tank exploded, causing a 40-foot wave of molasses to sweep through the city of Boston, dozens of buildings destroyed, 21 people killed, and I think that molasses flood is famous because it is so weird, and it's almost famous as a really, really weird type of thing that never ever happens in any other city ever. But hey, being alive is more interesting than people think it is, and one way that's true is that all kinds of cities, especially in the U.S., have had all kinds of strange or gross or weird problems that shut them down or snarled uh, the function of things, and and uh, some of them are animals, some of them are urban planning, others are just strange. That's what we're getting into today. And we got into that in a great American city, the city of Chicago, Illinois. This is our first show from our recent tour that you get to hear now, and I, I want to share my favorite thing about doing that tour. Because uh, there, there are many podcasts, and many of them do live shows in various cities. It's such a thing. And when we set out to tour the podcast, uh, a few people asked me why. You know, like, why are we traveling? Why are we doing it in theaters? Uh, we could just tape shows in a studio forever. Why are we doing a tour at all? And I think that's an excellent question. I think anything you do like that, where it's a large-scale thing, should have a goal and an intention. And one of the biggest reasons we did this tour is it let me have conversations and do shows that I couldn't do any other way. I can bring almost anybody into a studio in L.A., but this episode you're going to hear is something that we simply could not do any other place in any other context. We had to go to Chicago and do it in front of a wonderful crowd in Lincoln Hall. Also, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the canon of the Cracked podcast or the, uh, the, the deep lore of the show, right? Uh, but I'm from Glen Ellyn, Illinois, which is in the western suburbs of Chicago. Uh, so this was sort of a home game for me, if we can talk sports. And that helped me assemble a guest lineup that I feel is insanely neat and cool. To me, it's sort of like an Avengers of the most amazing Chicago based comedy and journalism and scholarship people uh, just all at once in a great show. And then we also got to bring in the audience because we do that in every live show. And so Chicago based people who are really from all over uh, got to share their own stories that we couldn't hear any other way either. It's a really special thing to me. Just one other thing before we get into this this conversation from Chicago that I couldn't do any other way. Uh, We did an episode here about U.S. cities. And since we taped that in Chicago, there are a lot of Chicago specifics that come up. You're going to be fine. We explain everything. A few things just to have uh, laid out in your head initially. Chicago has a city council. Um, The city council has 50 members, five-zero and uh, their job title is alderman. That's the term. It's, it's an old English word that meant elder man. Uh, people of any gender can do it, uh, but that's where it's from. And the week before we taped this, in April, uh, Chicago had a local runoff election for several of those alderman seats. And they also had a runoff for mayor. Uh, So Chicago elected Lori Lightfoot, who is the first black female mayor of the city, the first openly gay mayor of the city of Chicago. And uh, she takes office May 20th, which is the day this comes out. So isn't that fun? I think that's fun timing. But anyway, you you don't need to like hold all of that in your head very tightly or something uh, to understand the episode. It's very straightforward. It's about all kinds of cities all over America. And I think we had an amazing time doing it. So please sit back or sit over the dipping sauce for your large Italian beef sandwich. That is the Chicago approach to listening to a podcast. That's how everyone does it. Either way, here's this live tour episode of the Cracked Podcast from Lincoln Hall in Chicago with guests Ryan Asher, Maya Dukmasova, and Dr. Jane Daly. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I'm so excited to have these guests today. Uh, First up, she's part of the current Second City main stage review. It is called Algorithm Nation or the Status Quo. Uh, Please give a warm, warm welcome to Ryan Asher. Ryan Asher, folks. Yeah. Grab a seat. Hi. It's so good to have you, right?
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And hi, Dad.
0: (laughs) Let's keep on going. Uh, she is a staff writer for the Chicago Reader and the co-host of a fantastic podcast called Backroom Deal, which, especially with the uh, election you guys had, was amazing. Uh, please warmly welcome Maya Dukmasova. Hey. Is there anyone you would like to say hi to, real quick? I just real quick.
2: Uh, hello,
0: to
2: the audience. <laughs> My mom or dad are not here, so.
0: Oh, it's great to have you. And uh, and finally on the panel. She's an associate professor of history and of the law school at the University of Chicago, uh, author of many books, including most recently Building the American Republic, Volume 2 from 1877 on. Please welcome Dr. Jane Daly. Hey. Oh. Uh, And is there anyone you want to say hi to? We're all just saying hi to various people as Um, we come in.
3: Yes, I would like to say hi to my border colleague, Cora. Oh, yes. (laughs) She's really into podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she didn't know this one before, but we got her those little earbud things. So, I think she's going to enjoy it.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's get into wild, wild things about cities, but also to set that up, I feel like uh, there's just interesting things that I in particular picked up from your book, Jane, about how like cities had kind of a rapid growth all at once, and I feel like we don't think about that a lot, at least in the U.S. You know.
3: No, that's true, especially in the West, meaning Chicago. Um, and west, west of Chicago just exploded after the Civil War.
0: Let's see the stats here. The US population quadrupled in the 50 years after the Civil War. So four times as many Americans, and we uh, had uh, almost all of them coming to cities, especially immigrants. Yeah.
3: Right, and there was room. It was amazing. Four million people coming to this country and all ending up in Chicago.
1: <laughs> also I feel like after the war they were all like horny the ones that came back they were like finally
3: you lived
1: <laughs> so that's probably part of it too historically <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I'm assuming there's a chart somewhere where like horny is the y-axis you yes know? yes yeah.
1: post-civil war horny <laughs> mm-hmm
0: and yeah, also uh, between 1879 to 1920, almost 11 million Americans moved from rural areas to cities. And in 1880, that was the year when the majority of the workforce wasn't farming. I, I feel like that must have been a really strange social situation for everybody.
3: It was. It was hugely different. I think we're talking about immigration, but there's also just migration where everybody wanted to go, go to the cities and work in the factories and get literally off the farm um, looking for people to have sex with. Yes. In part. Not entirely.
2: (laughs) Partial sex? Ah!
3: (laughs) Well, it was the 19th century.
1: It's like farmers who are like, I'm going to go work for cans, Dad. Leave me alone. I don't want to do cows. I'm going to work in a factory with cans. And their dad's like, stay on the farm. That's just a reenactment. That's some more historical stuff.
0: When also, and then, uh, and Jane in the book, you also tell a story about a broad idea, but uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes kind of brings it up, the Supreme Court Justice. uh, But the idea of like what to do going forward once we had the Civil War and suddenly had millions more people.
3: (laughs) Right. He thought that they should vote, actually, was one of his radical ideas. Hey, how about that? He thought that the act of voting is what kept the republic alive. And he was really worried, especially after a president got assassinated. I think think three presidents are assassinated between 1865 and 1900. Um, So that was disturbing to people. So yeah, Holmes thought, if we could all act together politically, that we might have a fighting chance of keeping a republic
0: ahead of his time and, and our time, maybe. Uh, yeah, uh, that's amazing. But so then, cities—they uh, all—they all sprout uh, basically in this late 1800s time, or, or at least a lot of them. Like, like you say, Boston uh, was was ready to be molassesed already. But then from there, we have all these problems that uh, some of them are specific to various cities. But we might as well start with trees. Uh, that feels like a good point to start. Many cities have trees. That's the show. Thank you. Um, it's great for you to come out. But we uh, we have two kinds of trees here that are a chronic problem in cities because they smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they smell really, really bad. Several people were like, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't understand, uh, but that's great. We, uh, the two kinds here, one of them is the calorie pear tree. This mm-hmm. tree smells like many noses to human semen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, hey, hey, is this an anti-semen room? Hold on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hold on.
1: Yeah, I think the scientific term is the jizz tree. <laughs> I think that's the one.
0: <laughs> that's the x-axis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the other tree is the ginkgo tree, mm-hmm. uh, which smells like vomit, or to some people's noses, smells like farts. That's what I have been told and smelled. That's <laughs> <laughs> which
1: would you rather have planted in your yard? I think this is a good, a good question. Would you rather have the fart tree or the jizz tree in your yard? <laughs> I think farts because I think that's funny.
2: (laughs) That's just my vote. What does it make fart sounds, though?
1: I'll have a fart sound machine hooked up so (laughs) when people drive up, it's like... (laughs) And they're like, is it the tree? Is it me? Is it her? It's probably her. It's the best option. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Clap if you have noticed uh, a tree that you came across and you were like, what? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Those are just
2: people that don't like trees.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, and they apparently they keep getting planted because the calorie pear tree has really nice white flowers. So if you've seen mm-hmm. that on a tree, it's potentially this thing. And then ginkgos resist pollution really well, which is killer for, for uh, trees in cities because of all the cars. So somebody in some office is always like, we just need trees, I don't care. And they're doing these trees that uh, smell to everyone all the time. <laughs>
3: My son was explaining to me. I said, my son knows all kinds of weird things. And so I mentioned this. Oh, yeah. He says, yeah, he's lots of the yeah, ginkgos, they smell like vomit. And uh, the pear trees smell like, like cum. <laughs> How does he know these things? But, I, but he says, don't worry about it, because he says that the smell is just the pollen. And that if you have allergies <laughs> to the tree, it's because you have a very finely tuned machine to smell cum. more or less so then we decided that if this is true that allergy medicine is basically contraception for your nose
2: (laughs) sounds like he should be on this podcast yeah yeah yeah, he should he
0: should but then I wouldn't have anyone writing my material (laughs) one time for Jane's son come on put it together (laughs) let's take a left turn into confederate statues yeah Uh, this is a problem that's, that's all over many cities. And, and Jane, you're an amazing scholar of, of the Jim Crow South and, and the politics that leads to all these different kinds of monuments in a surprising amount of cities. How did we get to these being in so many places?
3: Well, I think lots of people know they're all over the South. They were mostly uh, established way after the Civil War. They're not about the Civil War. They might say they're about the Civil War, but they're not. They're about the age of segregation, really, and tend to be more about white supremacy than anything else. But, I, but I, I learned recently that Chicago has a Confederate uh, monument, which you wouldn't guess.
0: Yeah. Where is it at?
3: Where is it at? Maybe yeah. anybody in the audience know where our Confederate monument is. Isn't it in Grant Park? No, it's not in Grant Park. You know what's in Grant Park. There is sort of a monument. Um, there's a lot of bodies in Grant Park. Um, that's where they buried uh, soldiers who died, Confederate soldiers who died, they buried them in Grant Park. Um, Think about that the next time you're strolling through yeah. Grant Park. Like you're walking on the Confederacy. Yeah. They, they buried Confederate soldiers in Grant Park? They did. How, well, they you had how to did put they... them someplace because they were prison, prisoner of war camps. Oh. Uh, and that's what this monument is for. This monument is to the Confederate soldiers who died in a prisoner of war camp called Camp Douglas, which was Stephen Douglas's property. But the monument is in a ce- uh, cemetery in I think 61st Street. So we have our very own Confederate monument. It's not just Lincoln Grant, Lincoln Grant, Lincoln Grant.
1: Yeah, I'm from uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, where all those Nazis marched two years ago, three years ago. And they were there, I think most people know, because they were trying to take down the Robert E. Lee statue. And Charlottesville is actually a very liberal college town. And I think maybe the year or two before it was voted like happiest city in America, which is really Really? funny. Yeah, because I think that it's a place where lots of especially white liberals can believe that they're very woke and that there is no racism there. But there's a huge uh, class divide. And that statue was erected in what was a poor black neighborhood at the time to remind them. Like, hey, we still hate you. We're gonna still oppress you. So like the fact that Charlottesville's like, why are these Nazis here? Like, we're a good place. It's like, no, you still have Confederate statues. You still like allowed this to be part of the culture here. And it's just, it's horrifying. And like, I went to school in Richmond where there's Monuments Avenue, which is just one after another of like Stonewall, Robert E. Lee, just all the way down. And at the end is an Arthur Ashe statue. (laughs) God, at the very end because they're like fine we'll give you one but it's a statue of him up with a tennis racket and there's children below him with books and it looks like he's beating them <laughs> <laughs> look it up it's insane so it's like they'll, we'll make you one but he's scary <laughs> i knew they were there and i knew they were awful but i forgot that's like i cannot imagine being a person of color and walking down the street and there's just a big statue of like we hate you. You know that's yeah. what they are. Like we hate you.
0: As I understand it they were and Jane I think you know the most about but they were mostly built uh, in a relatively modern time, right? It, it wasn't immediately after the fighting.
3: There's spikes but it's mostly between 1910 and like 1940. So for Baltimore which decided to catch up late and build one in 1948.
0: Boo Baltimore, obviously. Boo! That's what I know. Let's uh. all go there now. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then we end up with, like you say, these things that are built with a specific message for the modern day. but And, uh, and yeah, Maryland, uh, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center says that Maryland had almost three times as many troops in the Union Army as the Confederacy. So that would, the main thing to memorialize would be the Union just by numbers, mm-hmm. but they, they're doing this specific messaging. And all kinds of cities have these monuments. It's, it's like another weird... Thing that has just popped up everywhere and people uh, don't realize it.
1: I think there's like a crazy rich guy who's like, wait a minute, what about us? And then he'll get a few and they're like, yeah! And then they build a statue. <laughs> it's
4: exactly That's exactly how, they how it sound. happens, yeah. right? Yeah. That's how statues happen.
1: Look that up.
0: <laughs> and uh, a and couple other weird spots where there's, there are these memorials. There's a Pickett Road after the Confederate General George Pickett in Bellingham, Washington State. Uh, there's a Stonewall Jackson bust in the Bronx and until 2016, there was a Robert E. Lee Elementary School in Long Beach, California because this just pops up because uh, people want to do a messaging. Also, Jane, you, you have amazing info on uh, a general named William Mahone who is never in statues. Yeah, you don't see him.
3: No, he doesn't get a statue because he did uh, the worst thing he could possibly do. This is a big general next to Robert E. Lee at Appomattox. But then he went and founded an interracial political party that won. Yeah. So... He's not really the favorite person um, in, in Virginia. Yeah, and his story, his story is, is repressed because who, who wants to listen to a political coalition that's majority black in Virginia in 1880? Wow, That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I didn't
3: know that. No, you wouldn't because actually Virginia wrote it out of all the history books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why. Uh, it, you, that's you don't why. see it there for a reason.
1: Yeah.
0: Another city-snarling problem we have, uh, in particular for New York City, which was the first city of a million people in the U.S., they had, by the late 1880s, over 1.2 million people relying on 170,000 horses, each horse producing 15 to 30 pounds of manure per day and a quart of urine, uh, and then it was bad.
2: (laughs) Can I just ask a question?
0: I don't think
2: that a quart of urine... Is Uh nearly enough for a horse. (laughs) That doesn't sound right to me. This is, I'd like to fact check that because uh, I'm pretty sure a person produces a quart of urine per day. If you're staying hydrated, which you all should be, uh, but a quart of urine, four cups, I don't believe that they produced only a quart of urine. I'm with her.
0: (laughs) I I honestly am just impressed you know how many cups a quart is. I I don't know. That's what I was thinking. That's great.
2: When I'm not writing for an alternative news media outlet, I am tutoring children in uh, middle school math. So oh. <laughs> often we wow. have to talk about how much a court is.
3: Well, now you can talk to them about, you know, piss. Yes, yes. Love that. Yes. Love that. I will. They'll love really
1: hook them in. They'll be like, math is cool. We talked about courts and piss.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, my, because my, pers- my, like, mental picture of especially turn-of-the-century cities is that it's, like, just unlivable of the human waste mm-hmm. and the animal waste and and the very beginnings of like smokestacks or or too many fireplaces or something i don't know how people did it
1: didn't they die a lot i was you gonna know? say lots, like, oh yeah right. lots of them died. They all like i just reached it. 10 years old <laughs> <laughs> they're also all british here in my opinion <laughs> at that time everyone's british and that's another fact <laughs>
0: And, yeah, with this, with this horse manure, there were some newspaper articles predicting, like, as the turn of the century approached, that, well, we'll probably just have manure piling up until we cannot move through cities anymore. And what do we do? That's probably the thing. The first International Urban Planning Conference was in New York in 1898. Main agenda item was the horse manure. That was the main... <laughs> Not trains, not buses, nothing. No, just horse manure.
1: God, I would love to just go back in time and see that meeting of them. Be like, there's too much poop. <laughs> for like hours, they were probably like, "What do we
0: do?" We also we have a few other animal things. Let's let's talk animals for a bit here. Okay. Another New York thing in particular was uh, they had a lot of congestion of pigs. There were pigs just all over New York, uh, especially Manhattan. Roaming town was just what happened in 1820s Manhattan. They had 20,000 hogs loose, just loose and around, which is uh, one hog per five people at that time. <laughs> So it was like, it was a significant chunk of the population.
2: You know? <laughs> well, aren't there also, so I know this is true in Chicago, but there's still some old city laws that are still on the books, and some of them oh. pertain to indecent behavior by animals in the streets and how you can get fined $2 if your horse or pig is having sex in the city. Oh and uh, <laughs> all of this was to discourage all of those people who were moving from the country with their... For some reason, I'm imagining that they're walking and they're like, they have a pig on a rope that they're just walking to the city. Um, So they arrive and they settle in a a substandard living situation and their pig is in their yard or whatever on the street tied tied to a stick. And uh, you know whatever it's trying to have sex, and you know now now they're getting fined two dollars for it because that's country behavior, and this is a city. Oh my god! You're like sorry, I'm late to work. My pig was having sex
1: again. <laughs> I got fined.
3: Right. I
2: feel like two dollars is a lot of money. Like in yeah.
3: whatever the 1880s, yeah. it was a lot of money. Nobody had any cash anyway.
2: So what so. what kind of money are we? How much money is that?
3: Oh gosh, I don't. You're the math teacher. Two hundred dollars. I know. Sure, let's pretend it's two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> It's also, it's, it's the current car-to-person ratio in Manhattan today, one to five, and, and my you got to be dead on with that. Like that. Yeah, they must have had all kinds of laws on the books about, okay, you've brought several pigs into town like everyone does, and so <laughs> here are the regulations. One other animal thing here, this is a, this is a modern thing with coyotes. Mm-hmm. Coyotes are just in kind of all of the cities all of the time in the modern U.S., they did a study at Utah State University. They looked at 105 big urban areas in the US, found 96% of them had significant coyote populations just running around. Apparently, they're a lot like raccoons, uh, but bigger. And I've seen nobody one. thinks about it. You've seen I've one? I've seen
1: one. I like was um, getting home from my improv show, Don't Clap. Uh, very cool and uh, I was like in my head thinking about how fun it was and then I like looked down the street I'd lived here for like two years and this coyote was just like standing in the moonlight and it I was, was like, on the
2: way back from the theater
1: yes yeah, yes yes it had seen a show my show <laughs> no. um, and I like looked at it and it was like one of those stupid moments where we like looked at each other and I was like hell yeah dude <laughs> Like we're both doing okay Kinda of like The Simpsons episode where Homer like trips off that chili pepper and then like meets his like spirit coyote. I Man. met mine after an
3: improv show. <laughs> have you seen one? Yeah, I've I've seen a bunch, meaning two. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm planning on seeing more. One one of them was pretty was pretty entertaining. He was he was or she, it's hard to say, because they couldn't catch they couldn't catch the coyote. We have a, there's a big field um, empty field near where I lived, which is near Northwestern Hospital, and there's a big fence on it in order to discourage people from thinking that the field could belong to us communally. And <laughs> in this field lived, and the past tense is, is correct here, many, many rabbits. But a coyote got, got in there and was just like running around like crazy. And it, three days, these wildlife people came. They could never catch the coyote. The coyote finally sneaked away. But we do live near the, near the lake. And probably five years ago, there was a big storm. And it, the waves threw up a whole bunch of fish onto the path. And then you know, they all died because they were on the path instead of in the water. And this was heaven for coyotes. So the coyotes come. And they're having a good time there chowing down on the fish, and I'm walking my dog, and I see this coyote, and it looks kind of strange, and I look down, and there's a woman walking with her back to the coyote with a little bitty dog, and the coyote is like wily Coyote. He's like, <laughs> after this little dog, which I think he didn't get it, but it was very entertaining. Like, I don't think, it's, do I warn her? Do I say you're being stalked by a coyote? <laughs> he, he quit. He was just doing it for fun. <laughs>
0: If you're if you're listening at home, when Jane said he was like Wiley e. Coyote, Jane mimed building a catapult uh, and <laughs> a rocket sled. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, the,
3: Ac- the Acme sandbag. Yeah. So. <laughs> you would think he'd have sued Acme? Nothing, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: because nothing. He keeps worked. buying these
3: things, contraptions, and they never ever work.
0: Clap if you've seen coyotes around Chicago. Wow. Oh my God.
3: Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> I've never seen coyotes. I've I've only seen, I've seen opossums. One came to a party I was at and stayed <laughs> at, on the porch with the party goers for several hours. Uh, was he wearing a hat? <laughs> no, but he had very big eyes and he was just frozen there on the porch. You know, just uh.
0: Yeah, that sounds like me at a party. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, WTTW talked to some experts about the coyotes, said, and the experts said at least 4,000 live in Chicago. Um, and also, according to uh, people in the New York Times, they said that a lot of cities, uh, people will notice the coyotes, and then people are like, I will become an urban coyote hunter. That's a thing I'll do. Because <laughs> oh,
3: no. everybody wants
0: that. And then the coyotes, for some reason, coyotes are kind of attuned to how dangerous their situation is. And so if people start hunting them, then the coyotes start having more babies uh, oh. intentionally. And so then it's like an arms race. <laughs> it's, like, it's like who's going to outnumber who?
2: I'm surprised you're not asking us about rats.
0: Uh, yes. This is another animal. And it's, it's a thing that's unique to Chicago and uh, even versus other cities is the rats. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. It's, well,
2: everybody thought that the polar vortex was going to kill them. But similarly to coyotes who reproduce more when they feel in danger, rats continue to reproduce even when they're cold. (laughs) So what is it? The the, the gestation period is something like 20 days for a rat from conception to birth and they have very large litters. The ones that reproduce are already successful because they've survived. Uh, So these are the alphas. So they reproduce particularly quickly and they've survived ice ages. So, you know, the polar vortex is like nothing to them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but in Chicago, I think it's funny that you, that I don't know if this is a recent perception, there's a rat problem here. I know as a reporter, I hear a lot of people complaining about rats when I go out to report in neighborhoods, but I feel like rats are much more visible in New York but we have alleys here, so all our trash is in the alleys. So the rats oh. are in the alleys, too. I feel like I don't very often see rats outside of the alleys.
1: Those rats <laughs> getting stronger and having sex through the winter is like, what? Like, I didn't know that. <laughs> and I like, oh, God. They're like the Duggars. They're like, we've had 19
4: <laughs> this year. <laughs> uh, they're everywhere.
3: And the coyotes don't eat the rats. Which is too bad. That's what I I learned. Are they eating trash instead? They're no they're eating mice. Oh. They're eating small small things.
0: Huh. Maya, that's amazing. Like when you hear rat complaints in neighborhoods, is it because you specifically went out to find out about that or just as you're reporting things it comes out?
2: No, it's usually like I will go out this particularly frequently happens on the northwest and southwest side of the city, which is sort of like the bungalow belt where it's like a kind of a para suburban type feel out there. A lot of single yeah. family homes and little yards and people take property ownership quite seriously. And when I go out there, usually for political stories, and I'll go to some local bar and try to talk to some guys named Bruce who always sit at the bar in the middle of the day, I'll ask them about what the issues are. You know, what are they concerned about in their in their ward or in their neighborhood? And it's like drugs are a problem. And sometimes they'll say more vaguely crime but then like rats are in the top three always they're always talking about rats would you rather yeah. have pigs
1: rats or horses and now i want you all to answer mine is pigs yeah
2: no i'd go with pigs, pigs? too. yeah
3: i like rats <laughs> you're tough and they're, i like them. They're, they're they're intelligent you know
0: and Chicago, apparently in the 1970s, Chicago had a rat population of 6 million with over 100 Chicagoans attacked every year by, by the rats. Wow. And then the good news is they've gotten it down since then. It's great. Uh, good job, all of you specifically. You all did it. Um, apparently by 1998, they estimated it was down to 440,000 rats which is uh, the approximate population in humans of Austin, Texas. It's the, about the same amount. And then it's gone down from there, but as we've found, the polar vortex killed off a few of the rats that can't handle the cold, and then the strong ones uh, like replaced them. Uh, so
2: they're growing stronger. It's going to be a good rat season this summer. Yeah, it's like if you live through the vortex outside,
1: like, you'll never die.
0: Many thanks to Turo for their support of this episode of The Cracked Podcast being broadcast to you. That's Turo, T-U-R-O. They are a peer-to-peer car-sharing marketplace. Uh, Do you need a car right now where you are? Will you need a car in the future when you're traveling? Or you've just got like a thing going on where you could use extra wheels? You know your life. I know Turo would help. Here's some numbers for you. Turo is available in over 5,500 cities across the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and Germany. Hello, Deutschland! They also have over 9 million users worldwide, over 850 unique makes and models of cars available out of more than 350,000 vehicles listed globally. That is an enormous fleet of cars, and we want to put you in one. One tip for you, if you would like a sort of a staycation around where you are, you know, you know, people talk about a staycation where they'll book a night in a hotel or something. It's also kind of a staycation to rent a really fun car and then just go somewhere you wouldn't otherwise go. Like driving in and of itself is a good time. I'm in Los Angeles. I would know I drive all the time. You can do fun driving in a in a unique vehicle from Turo and it's really from somebody else where you are. So they get some money for lending you the car. You get to have this adventure. And I think everybody wins. So let's get you winning. Download the Turo app, that's T-U-R-O, on the App Store or Google Play, or visit Turo.com. Get $25 off your first trip when you sign up for Turo and use promo code CRACKED at checkout. Terms apply. Terms apply. Let's let's talk about, there's a few, like, plumbing sewage things with Chicago that are very interesting, and they're great. Uh, Don't ooh. We all, we like horses, use the bathroom. And for one thing, historically, Chicago was initially built apparently without any kind of sewage system in place. And so in the 1850s, uh, they hired people to go around raising all of the buildings several feet to then install plumbing and sewage and stuff under them, it was a team of 600 men with 6,000 jack screws, and they would all just turn at once, and then building goes up, and they would do that a bunch, and then just put plumbing under it, and then put it back down like they're playing with toys or something. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's fun. That's like a cartoon. <laughs> what if it fell on someone's
0: toe? And then, um, and then also with uh, with the modern day, uh, lead piping is a thing. And Maya, in particular, you've done amazing reporting on uh, Chicago and elsewhere, and, and how they're they're handling uh, their lead pipes.
2: Oh, we're not handling them here. Yeah. Chicago is pretending like it doesn't have a gigantic water safety crisis by with its roughly four hundred thousand residential homes that have lead pipes. I mean. I guess in case folks aren't familiar I'll go ahead and freak everybody out. The first thing you'll do when you get home is get a water filter if you don't already have one. But essentially if you're if you're living in a building or like a three flat or a single family home that was built before 1986 You have a lead pipe connecting between your house and the water main, which is the big pipe that runs down the middle of the street. Now, you might have noticed that there's been a lot of water main work in the city. This was Rahm Emanuel's flagship infrastructure project when he took office in 2011. He was going to replace all the water mains, so that's what he's in the process of doing. Still, the city's doing this, and they are replacing all of these old, decrepit water mains. I mean, in some places in the city, they were made out of wood. Like I saw pictures of people, people were putting (laughs) pictures up from Logan Square or somewhere, they they were wood water mains. So (laughs) all the water mains are getting replaced with like modern iron water mains, but the lead, they call them service lines, the, the pipe that leads from the main to your house. All of those ones are made of lead and they're replacing the mains, but not the service lines. And the complicated thing is that no place in, probably on earth, has as many lead water pipes as the city of Chicago because uh, of a political reason, actually. So while uh, lead was a popular plumbing material, like in the early 20th century, the, the dangers of lead and lead poisoning became known, like in the I don't know, by the 1920s, it was pretty well known. So a lot of cities kind of stopped using lead for, you know, for their water pipes. But in Chicago, Mayor Richard J. Daly was best friends with the head of the plumbers union, whose name was something Bailey. So essentially plumbers loved working with lead pipes because they were very easy to to, to bend and they were very pliable and easy to install. And so in the like 50s or whatever, whenever, whenever this uh, like law was enacted, essentially Richard J. Daly let the plumbers write the city code around what kind of pipes you had to install in your house, and it had to be lead pipes. So while the rest of the country was phasing out using lead pipes because of known dangers to yeah. human health, the city of Chicago was mandating the use of lead pipes until the federal government outlawed them in 1986. So that's why we have this huge problem.
0: And you can buy filters and, and do things to... Yeah, you can buy... It. So
2: So if you have an NSF certified filter, you can get like a pitcher filter, like a Brita type filter. You can get like a reverse osmosis system for your house. You can get all kinds of different versions of this and it'll filter out the lead. You cannot get the lead out if you boil your water. But the reason that the water main replacement is additionally so like ridiculous that they're not replacing the, the, the lead service lines in addition to the mains is because... The the lead pipes are not like actively contaminating your water if they're just sitting there in the ground undisturbed because the city treats the water with like a special phosphate that over time builds a little coating on the inside of the um, lead pipe. And so there's no actual contact between your water and the pipe. But when there's construction going on in your neighborhood, which is very likely because of this gigantic infrastructure project and also because of other city construction projects or developments... The ground gets disturbed and the pipes move and the phosphate sh- coating shakes off from the inside of the pipes. And then, then your water is in direct contact with the, with, the, with the lead pipe. So then there's basically no guarantee that your water is not contaminated with lead. And you can get a free lead testing kit from the city of Chicago. You, can get, it, yeah. you can get it tested for free, but it doesn't mean you don't have lead in your water if it shows up clear, because the testing for it is BS.
0: Oh, then so well, test your water, but get a, a filter one.
2: anyway. And until you know for sure your home doesn't have a lead service line, just filter your water to be on the safe side. I'm saving your There's children's you brains. There's yeah. things you can with do with this information. And don't they only have to test fifty homes? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 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 federal like standard for this is they have to test fifty homes, which they normally do in city workers' homes because it's easier for them to just test in their own employees' homes. All of those people know about this problem and have probably replaced their water pipes already. So yeah, according to like the tests, there's no lead in the water problem in Chicago. And they only test the 50 homes like once every few years.
0: I do. I like that there are things you can do, though, Yeah, like the, like getting a filter and also uh, lobbying your people to work on it, especially because they just got elected, so they probably want to know. Oh, yeah,
2: this is going to cost billions of dollars. <laughs> to replace these pipes yeah. is going to cost billions and billions of dollars, and the other problem is that every lead service line is half owned by the city and half owned by the property owner because the pipe is partially oh. on city land between the main and your property line, and then from the rest of the way, it's belongs to you. So in Madison, Wisconsin, they replaced like 8,000 lead water lines a few years ago and it cost them like $600 million or something like that because they had to yeah. subsidize the property owners to replace it because it's expensive. They had to pay for the city side of the pipe. So yeah, nobody, nobody who's gotten elected, not Lori Lightfoot or anybody else has an actual viable plan for how they're gonna tackle this. And the current administration, they're just like, they, don't, they wanna pretend like this isn't an issue. The main thing, I mean, I don't mean to freak everybody out. Continue to drink water, but uh, <laughs> but like especially <laughs> if you have kids in the house, make sure you have an NSF certified filter that filters lead.
0: That's a doable thing. How about that?
2: Wow. Round of applause we, for that. We, yeah. <laughs> we went from semen trees to some really bleak shit about water.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well and we and we were talking about these aldermen and and you found a few of them in particular who have just some amazing tales about them and stories and things uh, they've been up to in the last few years, uh, such as uh, James Kappelman, a uh, fellow who is uh, still in a recount as of Ooh, they before know he went him. out there. <laughs> that was like a very strange sound. Uh, that was like, you know that like undersea hum that people <laughs> write about sometimes? Boy, oh boy. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't have brought him up, but who is he? Let's get into it.
2: I guess he's just as good or bad as any, any of the rest of them in a lot of ways. But yeah, he's the alderman of the 46th Ward, uptown area. And uh, for those of you who live in the 46th Ward, you might have noticed there was a particularly heated election. Kappelman was in a runoff with Marianne Lalonde. So the weekend before the election, Kappelman hand-delivered trays of cupcakes that said Team Kappelman in frosting, over the top of them, to nursing homes that were functioning as early voting places for people who were in those nursing homes. So, you know, there's early voting sites in every ward, but then you can nursing homes can get special kind of polling places set up for the residents. So he was coming to the to the to the nursing homes and dropping off these cupcakes, and uh, you know, then was trying to claim like it wasn't electioneering.
4: Because right.
2: <laughs> we, we, and electioneering is like doing any kind of campaign related activity within a hundred feet of the polling place so yeah. he was saying it wasn't electioneering it was just being nice the board of elections <laughs> did not agree and as the spokesman told me democracy was preserved but the cupcakes were not <laughs> <laughs> the the early voting in the nursing homes was happening on like between like Friday and Monday before election day. And so on Friday he was delivering the trays that said team Kaplman. And then by Monday there had been several complaints with the board of elections and he he had started delivering cupcakes that did not say team Kaplman. It was still electioneering because he was showing up at the polling place and personally delivering these cupcakes. Yeah. And they said like, happy
1: birthday, Dolores.
2: I (laughs) I just
1: found these outside. I'm just being nice. Yeah, I mean, I could get tricked <laughs> by a cupcake. If you're like, here's a cupcake, will you vote for me? I'd be like, yeah,
2: yeah. give it to me now. <laughs> Elsewhere in Chicago, uh, there was, I guess, electioneering in the form of tote bags being given out in the 14th Ward at Burke. <laughs> I'd take that too. I'm serious. Free shit and I'll vote. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is
1: like not cool to go prey on people who might not have all of their faculties. And the last thing they see is capital men and they're like, yes my son son is
2: Kappelman
5: which I mean so the
2: the opponent his opponent's like campaign I don't know somebody who worked for the opponent's campaign was also certified as a poll watcher and was like taking photos of him delivering these cupcakes this is how I found out about the story because I got these photos Kappelman's people were also like well isn't it electioneering to be taking photos Inside the polling place, (laughs) to which the election board spokesman said, no, that is documentation. (laughs) You shouldn't be taking photos of people voting, but you can take photos of people
0: electioneering. I hope the watcher was like, no, no, it's documentation. And Kaplan's person was like... Is it electioneering if I give you this sheet cake? With a, maybe <laughs> yeah. that makes it okay.
1: Also, that must have been like the best day for a poll watcher. They're like, "Yep, shit's going down."
4: <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise,
1: they're just like standing there.
4: Yeah,
1: And that she was like, "I got
2: him. I got him." <laughs> I mean, there were also there were also allegations of like straight up vote buying in the 25th ward, and, and I is guess that there's uh, yes, okay,
4: yeah, uh, that
2: okay. is illegal. Although I don't know, there are people in the city who argue that it shouldn't be as long as people vote, but <laughs> that's I'm not one of those people. The yeah, the, there's an ongoing investigation right now still into Byro, uh, Byron Sincho Lopez's campaign in the 25th ward. Uh, he did win his election, but in the 20 February 26th election, in the first round, uh, before the runoff, there were accusations that there were people affiliated with him uh, swapping votes for Target gift cards. Like $25 gift cards, too. I do that, too, man. Oh, I'm telling you.
1: You can get candles and underwear. It was also at <laughs> a senior citizen residential right. facility, of and course. And I'm kidding. It would have to be like a $50 gift card.
4: <laughs>
1: that is really messed up.
4: <laughs> <Now I'm>, that's <laughs> Chicago Because
0: also there's, a, there's another story here about, uh, is it Ricardo Munoz? Uh, yeah. recent, uh, some recent use of some uh, funds
2: Maybe folks here have heard about Danny Solis the, the reason we have a new alderman in the 25th Ward is not because of the target gift cards but primarily because the incumbent resigned because he was involved in a federal kind of corruption sting, and he was wearing a wire and recording other aldermen who were doing all kinds of shady things. But the reason the feds could get him to wear the wire is because it turned out he was swapping zoning, favorable zoning changes and other things for developers for, he was swapping that for Viagra. And, (laughs) wow, you guys haven't heard of this. This is, uh, can't you just buy that? (laughs) I don't know. Don't he was swapping. Insane. He was swapping favors for Viagra. He was swapping favors for <laughs> like. He was getting hooked up with uh, massage parlor. Like okay. going mm-hmm. to massage parlors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might be massage parlors. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> yes. Given but, the Viagra.
2: Right. 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 They yeah. weren't. They. They. Yeah. You. You all know what kind of massage parlors they were. Yes. <laughs> so that's one alderman. And then recently, this other news broke about. Uh, Ricardo Munoz who also is no longer going to be in the city council as of May 20th he was not running for re-election after he was arrested for domestic battery against his wife on New Year's Eve but since then I mean he has not resigned so he is still actively on the city council he's doing his thing still but it came out last week that he 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 was the chair of the Progressive Caucus, which we do have in the city council. Uh, It's like, uh, I don't know, maybe fewer than a dozen aldermen are on it. But he was the chair of this thing, and he was using Progressive Caucus money to purchase meals at an Italian restaurant and also at a suburban lingerie and sex toy shop. Ah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. $36,000 $36,000 is oh the figure God. I saw. Yeah, so he got lasagna and a butt plug and <laughs> he had
4: a good night. They said,
2: I'll eat it and then I'll plug it. Yeah. He said he's paying it back. He has not denied that he spent the money uh, and he's, he's, he's saying he's paying it back and he's paid That's back some like $20,000 worth of the inappropriately used money. This
1: is crazy. The first guy's like, please, I'll give you anything for my penis pills. <laughs> Please, please. <laughs> I'll make a deal for my penis. <laughs> this is why men shouldn't have jobs. <laughs> that's crazy.
0: I mean, it adds up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> I love that you can buy Viagra, and you could super just buy Italian food. Yes, uh, yes. That's like, that's like a very Garfield the Cat crime. I, I don't <laughs> oh my know God. what to do with it.
2: Uh, This was not a very fancy sex toy shop, (laughs) (laughs) or very fancy Italian restaurant. This was just very many trips to these places. That's
4: insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Are these people married?
1: Are there like significant others? Like, well, the the guy
2: was going to the sex toy shop was married, but now he's getting divorced because he Mm -hmm. hit his wife. Oh, that's right. Uh, Yeah. Yes. And the other guy, I actually don't know. Maybe he needed the Viagra for his Mm -hmm. wife. I don't know. I don't think so. (laughs) Something about it says no. (laughs) Ed Burke, who was indicted, who was on the wire that Viagra guy Solis was wearing, uh, and the reason he was indicted was because he got caught on a wiretap shaking down a Burger King owner for (laughs) campaign contributions... For Tony Preckwinkle, who did not win this mayoral election uh, and had to spend her entire campaign essentially trying to say that she was not affiliated with Burke, but he won his reelection
0: There is such a stereotype of Chicago politics is corrupt i i don't know if anyone knows the answer, but why how are, how is there like one guy wearing a wire who's also in so deep tracking the other people? like I feel like they're all just tracking each other, <laughs> you know like. Yeah. Like, the FBI is just doing, like, 15-minute meetings with all of them through the day, trying to fit them all in. Well, yeah,
2: Robert Mueller, back in the day, when he wasn't, you know, who he is now, when he was just, like, a big-time federal prosecutor, he used to love coming to Chicago and catching these people. I mean, we've had, like, 30 aldermen indicted since 1975 or something like that. I don't know. It's a good question. Why are they so corrupt? I think probably because it actually... Chicago has... um, the per capita, I guess, like representation or like the number of people, number of constituents each alderman has, like each member of the city council has is much smaller than in a lot of other places. So I think Uh. in New York, it's something like 200,000 people per city council person. And here it's like 50,000 people. There's a lot of wards and the constituencies are relatively small, It's not that hard to be elected because very few people actually participate in these elections. I mean, if you have like 30% of registered voters vote for an alderman in a given election, that's like good. I mean,
3: 30% is like. So are you saying that the aldermen are like coyotes and rats, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) which is when they feel stressed, they reproduce
0: (laughs) more? Yeah,
2: so the bar is not that high. And there's a lot of people who can get there by corrupt means. It's, you know, you can do it.
0: Yeah, you can do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, but on a positive note, Heck we've yeah. had just this, like, wave of uh, progressive, exciting candidates who just won a bunch of elections, who...
0: Yeah, Go enough for that.
2: Yeah, people are excited, so...
0: Yeah. We, uh, we are at the stage in the show where if you have uh, something you know about cities or, or strange things that happened in them. There's a microphone and we, oh, and we have a lot of people. It's so exciting. Uh, uh, first up, give us your name and, and then let's uh, talk stories. How's it going, guys?
5: Hey. I'm uh,
6: Luke. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and I have a little Columbus, Ohio story. In Columbus, we've, uh, just like most cities, have grown out a bunch and have run out of uh, things to name after. Uh, I grew up in a, na- uh, a, a neighborhood that had Nike and Reebok Street, and they just went on naming after shoes because of Urban Sprawl. No. Of urban sprawl. Yes. Um, but uh, that's sort of a contrast versus a little family history, which was that um, my great-great-uncle, Pat, he had a tract of land that was close to the downtown, and he had a horse farm there. And during Prohibition, he was uh, involved in rum running, and uh, he his way of offsetting the bad of that I think in his mind was taking inner city kids out to the horse farm letting them ride around it was very very special place to him so toward the end of his life he would never sell it he always kept that land they were developing all the way around it so when he knew he was on his way out he called in all the lead developers and he said whichever of you comes up with the highest bid that's who i'm going to sell this land to but it always has to bear the name of the love of my life grace And so now today in Columbus, Ohio, there's Graceland, Graceland Mall, Graceland's a neighborhood, and it's very sweet, but my family hated him for it because Grace was not his wife. (laughs) Whoa. That was his mistress.
0: Yeah. Give it up for Luke, folks. That's great. Let's let's go to our next story. Welcome. Hello.
7: My name is Elaine. I am from Chicago. I'm like Columbus, I guess. Um, just pandering <laughs> a little bit, sorry. Uh, I, I do wildlife rescue in the city, and I have for a couple of years. My oh. mom helps me out with it, which is really cool. I have a small coyote story, and then I want to talk about wildlife in general. We had to rescue a coyote from a Quiznos once, so it's not just mice <laughs> that they eat. They also like toasted oh sandwiches, I guess. That was a fun story. It was many years ago. <laughs>
0: how do you rescue a coyote from a Quiznos? What happens?
7: We kind of normally have to travel around in, in the car, I guess, with a bunch of like industrial gloves and masks and yeah. cages and stuff like that. Getting pulled over is always fun because we look like serial killers. But uh, we have to explain, no, 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 it's for hawks and stuff like that. You just clear everyone out. And you kind of corner it and you get some you know, cold turkey and you go, hey, come here. And it did worked. You, did you release know.
3: him in a Jimmy Johns?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
7: Just to get him some better catch sandwiches? Him catch no. <laughs> you take him out of the city, you put him in a different field. How we got started doing that was we got a dead bird dropped on us once outside of St. Michael's Church in uh, Lincoln Park. (laughs) And it was a peregrine that dropped it. Um, There's been a huge peregrine resurgence in America because DDT has stopped being used as a pesticide that would make their shells weak. So they could never breed or anything like that. But since DDT has stopped being used, uh, we have a lot of peregrines, especially in urban environments, because they're naturally cliff dwellers. And when they see, like, big skyscrapers or churches, they're like, yeah, that's a cliff. Uh, So there are a bunch of (laughs) peregrines nesting, especially, because they're incredibly territorial on, like, million-dollar, like, penthouse balconies, you know, downtown and on the north side and stuff like that. And these, like, really super angry, wealthy people now can't use their balconies because there are, like, angry birds of prey out there, (laughs) which is really cool. (laughs) Um, I like to think that they're sticking it to the man somehow. But if you've ever seen, like, half a bloody pigeon, you know, on your sidewalk or something like that, that's a peregrine who, like, dropped his lunch.
0: That's amazing. Yeah,
7: so there's a ton of peregrines all around. You can, you can see them. You can hear them first. They kind of make um, what we think of as an eagle sound, but eagles make, like, super sad sounds. So, like, in the movies, they dub <laughs> eagles with, like, red-tailed hawk and peregrine noises.
0: Hold up. Hold. Eagles make sad sounds? What? It's, Yeah.
7: <laughs> Like an eagle cry isn't super impressive. Like a lion cry isn't super impressive either. So when they have like lions in movies, it's actually like a combination of like a bear and a tiger or something like that. Whoa. But like all the like <gasps> the like eagle sound, it's actually red-tailed hawks that they dub in in movies. Everything you know is a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Give it up for Elaine. Mind is so blown
2: in all these ways.
0: Uh, next story,
8: name's Calvin moved here about uh just now two years ago and i was really impressed with all the spikes for pigeons around here it's very mad max kind of scene uh yeah yeah. but that's not my question my question was um uh, i understand humans need to pee from time to time especially in a pub kind of centric area and i'm really curious why other cities especially over in europe they have public urinals uh, but that's not something that we we see too often here and i'm wondering did prohibition Kind of influence that, or or do we just have a general? Uh, you need to keep that at home or inside mm-hmm. another business. Like, don't 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 be a human and have to
0: pee. Yeah. <laughs> That's an excellent question. Uh, we will fact check what you said about people needing to pee, but I believe yeah. <laughs> I believe that is the case. And uh, yeah, I don't understand why that would be.
2: You mean like public urinals, like not not like a restroom at a bar, but like a like a. Thing built in in a park wall where you can just yeah. go and
8: pee. Yeah, usually it's uh, it's it's in uh, a circular design where you walk kind of around an arc that is walls around you, so that somebody who is male could upright and pee. But uh, maybe there's even uh, versions that are for females. Mm-hmm. But generally, it's there is public availability for you to urinate.
1: Well, you can have that when I can have a hole to sit on. You understand?
4: <laughs> when I can I pop
1: a squat
4: outside,
2: you can do whatever you want. <laughs> fair
4: enough,
8: fair enough.
4: But, uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I will also say that, like, every place I've been to in Europe, which is a lot of places, uh, I feel like there's generally a bigger issue with just people peeing in public and everything smelling like piss... So, I'm actually glad that we don't have a culture of public urination. Pee. However, it would be great if uh, we didn't have so many businesses that said that you can't just go in there and pee.
1: Also, dude, you can always piss in a Starbucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like yeah. the ones that have the codes on the door need to be burned down. Starbucks is for pee first, coffee second.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Kelvin, that was great. Thank you. One more time for Kelvin.
9: Hi. How you doing? Uh, I'm great. Uh, <laughs> my name's Colin. I'm originally from the Louisville, Kentucky area. Oh, right on. And, uh Louisville's famous for a lot of things, uh, horse races, baseball bats, uh, the KFC Double Down. Uh, <laughs> but um, what, what I want to talk about specifically is uh, the Waverly Hill Sanatorium, oh. which uh, was America's largest sanatorium for tuberculosis. In the early early 19th century, so like there were a ton of people who just were terribly sick and had terrible lives and ended up dying there. They had shoots where um, they would throw the bodies down. But growing up in that area, I didn't know it as that place of terrible tragedy. I knew it as a haunted house. And what terrible tragedies do we know today that? a uh, hundred years from now are going to just be seen as like some fun haunted house that you go with your friends in junior oh. high to. <laughs>
3: Starbucks. <laughs> the White House.
4: Oh. Hey.
0: <laughs> well I actually, and I have a friend who, um, they're from Pittsburgh and they feel that way about all mascots of things that are pirates, cause pirates were terrifying. <laughs> And now we're just like, ah, let's get a cute thing. Like, let's have a guy in a big pirate outfit dance around the fields. Cool. Thank you, Colin. That's an yeah. interesting thing. <laughs> yeah.
5: Hello, I'm Mariam. Um, Hello. this man. I am from Europe, and we don't have outdoor urinals in England. Um, I feel like we would all just look at each other and apologize a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we're a very reserved culture of people that are just like, oh. We don't want to know what's going on. I wanted to talk about animals in London. I live in Chicago now, and it's a bit different. We don't have coyotes. We have foxes, lots and lots and lots of foxes, red ones. Um, and they will follow you home. They're very um, domesticated. One followed me home, but my bag was full of chicken nuggets, and I didn't know. Um, we, don't, we have lots of rats. Um, I think yeah. that's just a universal problem. But we once had a whale in the Thames, the Thames, if you don't know anything about London, goes through, the, goes through London. It's very big. Um, and in the middle, outside near the Houses of Parliament, I think, a whale got lost <laughs> and ended up in the middle of London. It was a baby whale. Spoiler alert, it's going to die. Um, and um, no one knew what to wow. do because we're not very well prepared for anything, English people. Sorry, no. England. <laughs> I don't live there anymore. I don't care. Um, Brexit. Um, and so, <laughs> the whale—it was—it was—it was outside the Houses of Parliament. It was freaking out because it was suddenly surrounded by all these people. Everyone stopped working to go and look at a whale. Um, and the—the idea, I think, to take it out of the Thames was to airlift it on a like a in a sack to back to the ocean <laughs> um, and then reunite it with other whales. But it died before any of that happened, because I think it just got sure. very stressed out. But you did mention dolphins earlier, and it just made me think of the whale.
0: Is it, is it common for whales to be, like, around the United Kingdom? I, I don't know um, much I about
5: it. Um, I think it swam up from South End or something. Like I, it, came, it must have come in one end of the River Thames. But I, sure. I it got lost... I, I, It was just one of those things. Maybe it was Harry Potter. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure. But um, it just magically appeared in the middle of London. There was a case in France, I think it was, a really long time ago, where a whale washed up on the beach and they exploded it. And lots of people died. um, Because you shouldn't do that with whales. Um, The blubber will just kill everybody. Um, And so we didn't explode it. That was a good sign on our part, I think.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, once I once ever marry yeah. Timing-wise, this will be our last uh, person with a, a story and a question, and uh, let's hear it. My name's Dan. I'm actually here from Pittsburgh, and I can confirm the mascot thing. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> um, spooky. <laughs> well, my story isn't really a very, like, biologically disgusting one, but I find it disgusting. It's the last time my city won the Super Bowl, and <laughs> usually this involved. Go you Steelers?
4: Know,
0: yep. And usually this involves people, like, tipping cars, setting things on fire, and just generally causing mayhem. And you know, mm-hmm. I kind of find that disgusting. It's kind of like, you, know, you just won, guys. Why are you like, acting like you know, the aliens are landing or something? <laughs> I think this
2: is a regional thing. I used to live in Morgantown, West Virginia. And whenever the West Virginia University won anything, including bowling, I don't know, whatever it was, there would be couches set on fire. For those of you who don't know Morgantown is about an hour away from Pittsburgh. So, I think I think this is a this is a maybe a regional custom. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a huge sports queen
1: surprise. <laughs> I know you all were looking at me thinking, she loves sports. <laughs> but I feel like in my mind, it's like sports are for people who are like, they probably have their jobs and their lives and their spouses and their kids, and they're like, yeah, life sucks. So when a team wins, they're like, oh, I've done something today! And they like celebrate by hurting things. <laughs> That's what I picture, where my people go to the theater and we cry in public. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Folks, that is the episode for this week. My enormous thanks to Ryan Asher, Maya Dukmasova, and Dr. Jane Daly for being so knowledgeable and so funny and for diving into a show with me, who they don't know very well, and each other, who they were just meeting, and and it's all just extremely cool of them. I think it's worth highlighting that it is brave and neat to do something like that. Also, enormous thanks to our audience, also brave, speaking in public, and huge thanks to the whole team at Lincoln Hall, uh, just the, the best venue in Chicago, especially Sam Andelson and Giovanna Savic. And additional thanks to Josh Lindgren, Unishare, Marissa Morales, Hannah Stifel, Hannah Crichton, Andrew Wender-Cohen, Chris Souza, and, and more people I am failing to mention. Ah, I just blew it. I'm sorry, guys. And let's go on to the Food Newts, where you will find all the sources for all the material in this show. Uh, Also, one update on what we talked about. We were talking about the Chicago alderman, James Kappelman, uh, the guy who fooled and uh, basically bribed elderly voters with cupcakes before the election. Kappelman faced legal challenges to uh, what turned out to be a very, very narrow win when they counted it all up. And those challenges went on until this past Thursday. It, like, just ended. The challenges were withdrawn, so Kappelman has officially won that race to be on the Chicago City Council by a total of 25 votes. That is 2-5, 25 Not for nothing, Jewel Osco sells you more than 25 cupcakes if you want that. He he might have given cupcakes to more people and actually swung the race. Uh, Also, elsewhere in the city, another Chicago alderman won their race by just 13 votes. Point is, local races matter. If you're mad about that, vote in all of your next elections. You can Google when they are. Also, unrelated, please support our guests. Uh, They they were amazing. Check out Ryan Asher live at the Second City in their new review, as we talked about at the top of the show. Those reviews are sketch and improv and more stuff. They're amazing shows. Read Maya Dukmasova in the Chicago Reader, which is one of the first and greatest uh, alternative newspapers in the entire country. Also, uh, Maya covered every one of those 50 wards, 5-0, In the run up to their local elections, which is an enormous task, and she did an amazing job of it. Uh, So follow her for just more reporting on that kind of scale and on that kind of level. And I insist that you check out Building the American Republic. We have a link for it. And it's a two-volume U.S. history textbook that is free and on the Internet. It's by Harry L. Watson and by our guest, Dr. Jane Daly. And the idea is to provide a free U.S. history textbook to people who maybe can't afford it or to schools where maybe they've cut the budget for history, because standardized testing mostly focuses on math and reading and other stuff. So that tends to be what goes first is history. And I think it's an amazing thing they're doing. It's I've read most of it, and it's very, very readable and a really excellent way to uh, learn the history of our country. Isn't that a good thing to do? And beyond all that, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Hey, that song has the city of Chicago in its title. Very neat. Also, this episode was engineered live at Lincoln Hall by Chris over there, and then it was edited by a separate Chris, Chris Souza. I thank them both very, very much. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, the space where I track your requests for a live Cracked podcast in your city. Uh, Part of why we went to Chicago and to St. Paul, which you'll hear a few weeks from now, uh, but part of why we went to those cities is there was a lot of demand online when I asked people where they wanted to see a show. That, uh, That actually played into it. Good job, people there. And if you want one in your city, let me know. My own Twitter account for those requests is at Alex Schmidt. Also, my Instagram is at Alex Instagram, and I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. Many thanks once again to Turo for their support of this broadcast of a live Cracked podcast. And that is T-U-R-O. They are an app and a website, all kinds of ways to use their peer-to-peer car sharing marketplace to get yourself on the road in a vehicle that fits exactly what you need, wherever you need it. Download the Turo app, that's T-U-R-O, on the App Store or Google Play, or visit Turo.com. Get $25 off your first trip when you sign up for Turo, and use promo code CRACKED at checkout